and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. Hello and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan episode 23 for April 19th, 2022. This time around, I have some good, fun content I hope you'll enjoy. First off, we have The Funeral for a Friend, which is the aftermath of the death of Superman from the early 90s, which I think is a far superior storyline than the actual death itself. There's a really cool team-up from Avenging Spider-Man with Peter teaming up with Aunt May for a really good heart-to-heart -heart story involving Uncle Ben. There's also coverage of Mike's Amazing World, which is a fantastic website, which everybody should check out on a regular basis. And finally, we have a special Roy interviewing Stan Lee interview from 1998 from Comic Book Artist, which paints Stan and Roy in a really different and cool light. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I would love to hear what you have to say. A fantastic comic fan, all one word, at gmail.com. On to this week's episode. Hope you enjoy it. I was collecting comics when DC launched the Death of Superman story back in 1992. And I remember all the hype surrounding the event. Then, of course, he returned. But the media at the time treated the event as a forever thing. True, he was gone for DC for most of the year, and the whole Superman story moving forward did benefit from the storyline. However, for me, it was what happened after he died and before his return. Unlike today, events did matter and ripple across the DC mythos back then. Of course, I'm talking about the Funeral for a Friend arc, which ran through the Superman books that picked up with the presumed dead Superman still in the arms of Lois Lane. Throughout the multi-ash arc are the small personal moments like John and Martha watching the events unfold in Smallville. The Daily Planet staff is still hoping Clark Kent survived and will show up at any second now. Or Lois mourning over Clark and Superman trying to keep it together under impossible events. Then there's Perry White's guilt about not calling Ma and Pa Kent about Clark. As Perry said it, I should have called them earlier, but I kept waiting, hoping there'd be some good news to give them. Or Lana at a phone booth crying as she talks to the Kents over the loss. And then there's Jimmy Olsen feeling guilty and sadness over being the one to take the photos of Superman's death at the hands of Doomsday. Even next, Lex Luthor gets moments, well, to be Lex. One scene has him upset and smashing furniture and, other, and others around him mistake him lashing out over the loss of Superman. Nope, he's upset because Superman was mine to kill, as he says. I've been cheated out of my vengeance. And later, in the arc, Lex talks about taking the lead and making Superman get the proper burial. Try as I might, I couldn't kill Superman, but sure as hell I'm going to bury him. Now leading up to the funeral, Mom and Pa can't realize they must mourn from him afar because only the big shots are going to be allowed at the funeral. Back then, nobody knew that Clark... And Superman were one. Still, the scenes with the Kents sprinkled throughout the arc are among the best parts. 
While I understand this is only the fictional world of DC Comics, the scenes where the Kents do their goodbyes of Clark at the farm tugs at one's heartstrings. Likewise, the scene of them bearing personal mementos complete with teddy bear and scrapbooks syncs up with the funeral service Metropolis and makes the whole storyline better. Later, the Kents and Lana meet up in Metropolis, not only to support Lois, but each other. The heroes get to shine as they deal with the loss. For example, Oberon hands out black armbands with the S-Shield to members of the JLA. In addition, there's a nice Batman bit concerning bats watching over Metropolis leading up to the funeral. Then there's the JLA, who show up at the Metropolis post office. There are bundles of mail addressed to Superman, asking for his help. But of course, this also lines up with the Christmas holidays, so the heroes try to help as many people as possible who are asking help via the letters in the honor of Superman's memory. If you've never read The Funeral for a Friend arc, you are missing out on one of the best Superman stories ever. Of course, longtime readers will also enjoy a time when story points and plots mattered in the DC mythos. Believe it or not, I've only touched upon some of the fantastic moments. Well, distance within the storyline, there's new seeds planted for future story, and events progress in a way that leaves you wanting more. The whole storyline is available in a digital format from multiple platforms. I suggest you know from a friend listed on Hoopla, where you can borrow it for free. The collection features the main story and includes supplemental comic stories surrounding the deaths of Superman. Check it out. Again, you won't dis- be disappointed. Esteemed people either praised Stan Lee or made him into a less than stellar person over the decades. I think he was neither, but somewhere in the middle. But I understand it's easier to take a stand for one way or another. Now, Two Morrows Publishing is the best caretaker of comic books from the golden age to the present. They cover everything when they're in their books and magazines, most of which are available in an affordable digital format. While going through their archives, I came across what I think is a Stanley interview everyone forgot, or maybe never heard of in the first place. It came from comic book artist number one from 1998. I like these pieces where you get under the hood and see what was really going on. If you've never checked out the now defunct comic book artist, it remains a fantastic source that goes behind the scenes of the comic industry. What makes it fantastic, and something fans should seek out, is Roy Thomas interviews Stan. Right off, you get a feeling of their mutual liking for each other. There's fun, joking, but still serious in talking about the nuts and bolts. Now, Roy Thomas started in mid-1965 at Marvel, and his impact on Marvel Comics and the industry as a whole will always ripple through the comics. He's one of those creators who left a lasting mark and makes comics better raw. While the piece is about Roy interviewing Stan, you get a clear picture of how important Roy was to Marvel in the early 1970s. For example, Stan was not a big Conan fan or had even read any Conan. However, Stan had such confidence in Roy that Stan pushed Conan along because of Roy. Now there's a funny bit where Stan took a leave from Spider-Man with Amazing 100, which ended with Spidey getting forearms and then tossing the book to Roy with a, Here Roy, take it away. Roy humorously complains about getting stuck with a six-armed Spidey for a few months. And Stan was like, I thought you gave me gave him the extra arm. And Roy was like, no, nah, no, nah, you did that to me. Which I thought was kind of funny. It was like Roy nicely saying, thanks for screwing me over, Stan. No problem. No, not really. I got this. I'll take care of it. Later, 
they talk about Marvel's jump into the black and white magazines. Roy says there were all these mags he heaped at my shoulders over a two-year period. Stan. Well, you were good at it. Roy counters back. I was good at it because I got Marv Wolfman and other people to help out a lot. This happened after you became publishing and we needed those extra books to pay for my salary, except I never noticed getting a big raise. So in the next 48 hours, we suddenly had four gigantic books coming out, and I didn't even count the Conan black and white. Stan without missing a beat, I just wanted to make sure that we needed you. The whole interview is filled with funny and often illuminating side stories. Stan talks about how he used to jump on tables acting out Thor stories, probably because Stan had a lot of energy in those days and it was hard for him to sit still. Or how he got Martin Goodwin, then publisher at Marvel, to let Stan Lee work only two days a week for a time at the Marvel bullpen. You might even be surprised by Stan's respect and admiration for the talent that he worked with over the years. Bill Everett, Stan said he was imaginative and talented and that he was easy to work with. Or the praises he lavishes on Marie Severin, calling her multi-talented and one of the best colorists in the industry. I thoroughly enjoyed the interview, and I saw a more human side of Stan. I missed some of the events that happened so long ago that even he didn't remember the details. But of course, at the time we were talking, things that had happened 20 years or more in the past. I understand that, because I get these days where I don't even remember what I had to eat the day before. I liked how at times he didn't take himself all that seriously and gave credit to the people who helped make Marvel... Well, Marvel. Again, I am not one to put people on pedestals or over-criticize them for their faults. However, I 100% believe the interview between Roy and Stan will surprise both old and newer fans. Again, it is comic book artist number one from Tomorrow's Publishing. Oh, and that's only the lead feature. The whole magazine is worth reading. Check it out. I know you won't be disappointed. Here's one of those websites you need to check out. It's Mike's Amazing World, and the section is the newsstand. What you can do here, you can actually zero in on year and month. For example, if we were go to, let's say, 1985 and April, and you filter, it tells you everything that came out in April of 1985, like All-Star Squadron 47, Alpha Flight 24, You've got Conan the Barbarian 172, Fraggle Rock number 3. You could also filter to show specific publishers. For example, we just wanted to see DC Comics. It shows you all the DC Comics, starting again with Action Comics and going all the way down to World's Finest 317. You could also do a cover dated, which changed the results just a teeny tiny bit. But... It is an also be sort by publication date. So it'll tell you when a publication came out. When you tap on that particular comic book, it will tell you the publisher, the cover date, on sale date, cover price, even tells you information about the comic itself, like who might have wrote it, who drew it. It is actually an incredibly great resource. There's also another tab within this, which is the series info tab, which tells you how many issues were published and when they were published. Also, there's a series gallery, which will tell you exactly how many issues of a comic was published. This, again, is mikesamazingworld.com. It's an incredible resource to check out from any year, any publisher. Back in 2011, 
Marvel launched Avenging Spider-Man. Like the old Marvel team-up, the series teamed up Spider-Man with various characters. Issue 11, to me, is a very special comic because it teams up Spider-Man Peter Parker with Aunt May in celebration of 50 years of Spider-Man at the time. The story opens up as a flashback with Uncle Ben and Aunt May right straight from probably Amazing Fantasy 15. Then we flash forward to the present time with Spider-Man hunting down characters like the old favorite Copperhead. Unfortunately, everybody thinks something's off with Spider-Man because he doesn't really say anything much. No quips, no nothing. And even Copperhead goes, yeah, that was kind of weird. It wasn't like Spider-Man. That's because Spider-Man has an appointment to go see Uncle Ben's grave with Aunt May. And it's pretty cool because there's Aunt May and waiting and waiting, stating, he'll be here. I know my Peter. And it opens back up with Peter at the grave, stating everything about Uncle Ben was his fault and taking the blame. And the rest of the story is basically Aunt May saying, I know, I know, you say that every single year, but it's not true. In fact, not only is it not true, it's a profoundly stupid idea. <clears throat> but the rest of the story flashes forward between the present and the past as Aunt May in the past and in the present can try to convince Peter that none of it would happen to Uncle Ben was his fault. It's a great Dada one story that really cements the relationship between Aunt May and Peter Parker. You know, you don't get very often Aunt May and Peter teaming up in a storyline that's so moving and so true to the legacy of the character over time. If you've never checked it out, Avenging Spider-Man number 11 is one of the great stories that I've read in a long time. It's available out there through all your digital services. And you can read it probably if you want it in a physical copy at your comic book store. Again, Avenging Spider-Man number 11 from 2011 is an incredibly well done comic book. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.